a safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Coming up after 10.15, what to do when you are seeking information on finances in the marriage because you're getting ready to leave, to divorce. Linda Hammerschmidt will be with us as of 10.15 to answer all of your family law questions, so get those questions in early. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion at 514-800. Your emails are always welcome as well, Lori at drlori.com. This one uh, first, hey, Dr. Lori, what are your thoughts about being friends with exes when you're in a relationship, especially if the friendship was established and pre-existed the current relationship? I'm a gay woman in a relationship and have a hard time with how how much my girlfriend seems to love her ex's baby and her general closeness with their family. P.S. I'm not really included in the mix. I think that might be the bigger problem is that to for an ex to be part of the relationship, it shouldn't it it should that person shouldn't be apart. Like if in other words, they should you should be included. It's about feeling letting your other the, the partner, your current partner, feel secure and safe in the relationship. I think that is the primary it should be the primary uh, concern. If there was a lot of jealousy and, and what have you, then I would say uh, I would want to look at that because th- that would be based on insecurity and that could, your partner would, would get upset because it's, it's based on insecurity rather than trust uh, that, you know, it's all well and done with and then you're moving forward. Is This is very common, uh, staying, especially I notice in, in uh, lesbian communities where it's a much more tight-knit community and everybody knows everybody and it seems that uh, everybody's you know had a relationship with this one or that one within their inner circle so you're likely to uh to to have a much bigger uh, a network of exes let's say or people who have been with other people um so much more common i think it would be important for you to express to your uh, partner that you want to be included like you have no problem with uh with her being uh, close to the ex you trust her you know that that's over it's just a friendship it's caring um however you would like to be uh, you would like to be more included so that that ex can become and her family can become part uh, of your friendship network together as a couple so that i think is perfectly fair uh, to ask absolutely Yesterday we talked about, uh, there was a, um, a texter who wrote in about uh, bisexuality and, and wondering if bisexuals are just not uh, gay people who haven't yet uh, come out. And this texter wrote in saying, all the straight and especially gays who bash bisexuals is backwards thinking and not helping the cause. Furthermore, they are just salty, I don't know what that means, but because bisexuals are more accommodating and have more possibility for selection and often have more fun. So maybe there's a kind of resentment there. It's hard to know where this bias comes from, but it does exist. If you do speak to bisexuals, they will tell you that they feel misunderstood by the straight community and often pushed aside by the gay community. So that does does exist. 
Hi, doctor. I see cars with stickers on the back with a mom, two kids, and a pet. I see these often. Is the woman advertising that she's single? <laughs> um, I don't think that that's what she's doing consciously. Uh, those stickers that you see, especially on the back of vans, are uh, stickers that symbolize the family. So maybe you see a mom and her two kids and there's no no dad, but I don't know. Is, is it possible that the, there's no sticker for the dad? Is it possible? It's possible she's a single mom with kids. Could she have a boyfriend? Like I, this is not a form of advertising that, uh, that you're single. I, I really don't think that's how people would go about it. Uh, is it true that if your penis is uncircumcised, the pleasure lasts longer? So someone wants to know if you last longer circumcised. I've answered this question in many different forms over the years. Well, I've looked at the research on uh, circumcised versus uncircumcised. They've done research on men who have been circumcised later in life so um, and, and measured their sexual satisfaction. And by and large, the studies do not support the belief that um, an uncircumcised penis either lasts longer or that a circumcised penis is more sensitive. Overall, when you look at large scale studies, that doesn't mean that you have uh, particular people who might say that, that for them, that's not the case. It's very possible. But from just from the science point of view, there's uh, no significant difference in sexual satisfaction or in uh, prolonged ejaculation or anything of that nature. At least that's what the, uh, that's what the research shows. This is an interesting question. When having a threesome with no protection, the man has sex with the first girl, then the both girls together. Can both girls get pregnant? <laughs> That's a really good question. So, uh, interestingly enough, of course, yes, if there's ejaculation in, in, in both girls. So if, uh, if the man, the one man with the two women, if he ejaculates in each of the women, if they're, if they're both at the same uh, time in their ovulation cycle or menstrual cycle, of course, it's possible that both get pregnant. I've also heard of the, uh, reverse I don't know if this was like a situation where a woman with two guys, two different guys ejaculated. She ended up having twins. <laughs> one guy was black, one guy was white, one black kid, one white kid. I don't know if this is a made up story, but I did hear it. I remember that and thinking, whoa, could this actually uh, happen? The reality would be that she'd probably have a single pregnancy and wouldn't know who the... Uh, who the, the sperm donor was or who the father was at that point if she had intercourse with two men who both ejaculated inside. A question that uh, reminds me of how important sex education of youth is, can you get pregnant from oral sex? The answer is no. So pregnancy uh, will occur when uh, semen gets into the vagina. It needs to swim up to the fallopian tubes. It needs to uh, 
it needs to it needs to swim up the canal past the cervix the has then the, and it has to fertilize an egg there's a whole process here that uh, it doesn't when you ingest something it goes nowhere near your genitals it might come out of your pee but it doesn't go anywhere near your genitals it, you're ingesting it into your stomach and then your stomach absorbs it and that's it so you cannot get pregnant uh, from oral sex you cannot get pregnant from anal sex however if you have unprotected anal sex and the uh, uh, the male ejaculates at close to the opening or it leaks out and goes towards the vagina that is a possibility albeit a slight possibility but it is a possibility it has been known women have been known to get pregnant simply from ejaculation close like close to the entry point of the vagina and not necessarily all the way in some some of those uh sperm are quite active and and quite strong and really good swimmers and you just you never know. So it is, uh, it is a bit of a possibility. Coming up, uh, Maître Linda Hammerschmidt will answer your questions. So please get them in. If you're going through a divorce, separation, you have questions about that. You have questions about living together, about contracts when you're living together, about custody issues, about uh, child support, all of that. She answers them with eloquence and uh, 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 quite a, a lot of authority. So send in your questions at 514-800. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Passion and the Law tonight, the first, uh, the last Thursday of every month. Maître Linda Hammerschmidt joins us tonight. She's joining us by phone. She is a family law attorney and here to answer all your questions. How are you doing, Linda? Fine, thank you. Marie, and you? I'm good. Are you enjoying the uh, lovely weather? Well, it was cooler this morning. That was nice, but then it got hot again. So <laughs> Don't I'm complain. I am lucky enough to have air conditioning. <laughs> That's true. And at least when you walk your dogs in the morning, it's cool, so you're all good. That's right. All right. So if you have questions for Maître Linda Hammerschmidt, 514-800 to text in. You're also free to call us at 514-790-0800. So over the last uh, couple of weeks, I've seen a couple of clients who are in pretty bad situations, mostly women who have... A little bit of no idea of the the financial situation at home. They're they they want to leave their partners or they're divorcing, but they're very afraid because they don't know. Like they've never handled the money part. They a lot of stuff keeps them there because of the fear of all of this stuff, and they don't know where to begin. So maybe you can help out these people when they're trying to find information on finances without necessarily having to ask their partner for that information? What it, what should people do? Well, I guess the first place would be to see if there is any paperwork at home, okay. file cabinets, wherever, that's not under lock and key. And, and if it is under lock and key, boy, that's a clue. And anybody out there who has young adults, that may end up getting married down the road, please, please tell them that they should never allow themselves to be in a situation where they don't know what's going on with the finances in their own marriage. Right. 
and not to uh, abdicate that role to, you know, just the other spouse who controls everything. And then you end up in the situation that you say some of your clients uh, are facing at the moment. Right. So if you have access to this kind of information along the way, you should try to photocopy it or take a screenshot mm-hmm. with your phone or iPad, at least for, uh, you know, <clears throat> for future reference in the, in the event that it's needed. And as far as other information, um, you know, I don't know. It depends on uh, everybody's case is different. If they have a joint bank account, well, then obviously they have access to the records for that. Uh, if there's a mortgage on the house, if they have co-signed the mortgage, then the bank has to tell them what's going on, too. Okay. Uh, if they haven't, then uh, that's, you know, another problem. And are these people already in the throes of proceedings or not? They're well, not- I, I'm thinking of like uh, one or two that are just scared. Uh, they want to leave, but they're scared because of the implications, like because they have never had any control or uh, don't have any clue. They're, they're just afraid of saying, I'm leaving. And then, and then what? like, they, it's the, then what, that's the scary part because they don't know if they're going to be out on the street. They don't know if there's money in the account. Like they just don't know if their partner's going to pay for them. So because they have no clue, it kind of keeps them, uh, it keeps them prisoner in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes, you know, either with some sort of a coach or a lawyer that you go to see, at least they can give you some directions as to how to go about things. Worst case scenario in a proceeding, one can send subpoenas. And in this day and age, uh, the rule allegedly in the courthouse is that both parties have to fully disclose their finances. And if one party refuses or obfuscates their information or drags their heels about it, uh, courts don't look too kindly on that kind of a situation anymore. Nonetheless, it can be, you know, somewhat time-consuming and it will cost money Mm -hmm. to, to get to the bottom of it if the person isn't forthcoming. Right. So... I don't know if they are too afraid to even ask these questions, you know, before they make any decisions to take a divorce proceeding or separation proceeding. But uh, ultimately, it's going to be uh, the issue of support is going to be based on what one can prove the other side uh, has a capacity to pay. Right. I think oftentimes the the worries that I hear is that because they don't know they can they can't even they don't even know how much their partner makes so they're it's like well, well they, that I, ha- I have to have a problem with right away because they obviously both have to file tax returns every year right and on the first page of tax returns is your spouse's income which has to be filled in right. Now, if it's a self-employed person, it's possible that that number is not the real number right. that's paid for everything. But if they're a salaried employer, even if they work for a big company, that number's got to be on their tax return. Right. I guess the, the worry I hear mostly is from people who are 
with uh, self-employed and they and they know they kind of they they know that there's more money than what's there. So how do you prove that? Well, another good good way to do it, uh, sort of in a roundabout manner, is you keep track of what you know is being spent mm. for mortgage payments, insurance, taxes, the groceries, the clothing, the vacations. Keep as many receipts as you can. Okay. And obviously, if the total of all of that in a year adds up to, let's say, for argument's sake, $100,000, and the person is declaring thirty thousand dollars on their tax return. Right. There, there's obviously uh, an issue as to the veracity of the tax return. Right. Okay. So, but, that, that uh, so you... the lifestyle is an important way to show a court uh, how much and the standard of living that you're accustomed to, uh, and that uh, the other person, if they're the one solely responsible for the finances, have been uh, financing all this time. And uh, then it's a question of all the other assets and what they're worth. But but I come back to always harping. <laughs> One of the many things that I'm always harping I on know. is that you have to talk about these things in your marriage from the get-go, if not from right before the get-go, and all the time. It's not like you have one talk and then you wait 20 years to have right. it again. Well, I have I have good news because I was reading a study uh, on millennials, and because they're getting married a bit later, they're more concerned about financial things. So they actually, uh, in the early stages of dating, are talking about financial values, financial goals how how money will be spent uh so i think this this uh, generation might be might be more uh financially uh um communicative yeah well at least they'll communicate more about money whereas yep. in the in the old days if i want to call it the old days but in more tradition <laughs> in more traditional marriages which wasn't that long ago uh, you got married and uh, you let the husband was the provider and you didn't, you, you kind of stayed clueless, you know, as to where the money went. So I think that times are definitely changing and that's a good thing. Although I've heard that millennials don't bother to vote, so anybody that doesn't bother to vote one of the few rights that we retain still in this day and age, I have trouble believing that they're actually discussing money. Well, the studies show that, but, you know, maybe millennials are like, there's nobody good to vote for, so I'm not voting. <laughs> <laughs> right? If nothing else, you go out and you spoil your ballot, yeah. but you exercise your right as long as you have it, because right. people have died fighting for that right. Oh, Linda, you always manage to find some way to go off track. <laughs> not off track. Somebody's family member, we're talking family what? Somebody's family member died in a war to protect the right of millennials to vote. <laughs> so Linda's message on her little soapbox today <laughs> is go vote, millennials. And talk about your finances. And definitely talk about your finances. Well, you know, finances... Money and sex are those the two major taboo areas where people have a hard time talking about prior to a marriage or, or living together. So the, they, they're like almost equal in terms of the, the, the taboo-ness of the it. The finances are more important, quite frankly, from my point of view, because... You can satisfy yourself, but you need the money to pay for what you're right. going to live in. And on that note, uh, coming up, we'll, uh, we have a question to answer of uh, a couple that separated that were living together. 
and money issues and and uh, owning property and separation of all that gets a little bit confusing but we'll uh, I'm sure Linda will iron it all out with Dr. Lori Batido on CJAD 800. Metro Linda Hammerschmidt is with us tonight. She answers all of your legal questions about divorce and living together and custody and all that jazz. Linda, here's a question for you. My ex-fiance and I have separated four years ago. We own and rent a revenue single dwelling and both agreed I leave the family home. Thus, they pay for the familial home, and I move to an apartment. She believes she owns more percentage-wise of that property, as we both still own them. Own them. Is it true? I'm not sure if that's clear. Okay. I'm sorry, but there was too many properties involved there and then moved out into an apartment, so... Right, so I, they... I, I want to know who lives in the apartment, like... It sounds First to me all, like they own a single dwelling and they rent it out. And well, she they, They've always owned this place. That's not where they were living as a couple. No, I guess not. Just no. Just a revenue property. Right. They were living in what for before somebody moved to an apartment? Uh, well, that's what I uh I really don't know. It says it, they pay for the familial home, so maybe they rented the home. I know, we need more information for whoever texted in here. Or the other here. person who didn't move into an apartment is living in the family home. Right. But without numbers, it's very difficult to answer a, is she, there a percentage more that, and in what, the family home or the revenue property? And what was their, did they have a marriage contract? Are they partnership of a quest? Well, a they, they of, weren't married. They were just... Uh, no, they're, they're not married. No, okay. they were engaged. Then he says, would I have to give her more money if she takes the familial home, which has more equity and value? So it sounds like there's a family home that she lives in, and there's a rental property that they own and they rent out, and she lives in the family home. He moved to an apartment, and he wants to know, um, they both still own both of those homes. Would I have to give her more money if she takes the family home, which has more equity and value? So I think that the family well, home... First, would... of all, first of all, you have to... i assuming that they're both 50-50 on both properties. Right. So there's a total value of both properties, let's say $500,000, and I'm making numbers up here, right? Right. <laughs> so $500,000... I don't know if there are mortgages involved on any of this. So minus the mortgages. Well, let's say for easy ease of calculations that the net's 500. So okay. both of them theoretically would be uh, each entitled to 250,000. Right. Now, let's say the family residence is 300,000, which would mean that if madame keeps it, she would owe monsieur 50,000 because it's worth more. Right. So she owes him more. And vice versa, if the revenue property, and are they keeping the revenue property or is he getting it? No, they say that he wrote back saying there's no contract. Yes, there are two properties. A revenue property is rented and the other person, I guess the ex, continues to live in the family home. 
Yeah, but is he keeping the revenue property in this agreement that they may may make while she keeps the family residence? I think that's essentially what she believes because she believes she owns more of the family home, but they both they both own it. Well, well, I don't know how she could own more of the family right. home. I only if he means that it's because the family home is worth more that she's sitting on yes. more equity. Right. That he is if he just keeps the fam the revenue property. Right. He keeps the family property. Right. Or if there's a deed of purchase that says that she put in more money in the family home than he did and that she gets to take that out. I mean, again, <laughs> there's information that, you know, you can't That's answer missing. these questions right. without details. Right, right. A lot of details. Okay, makes but, sense. But theoretically, uh, all, all being equal, you take the both values and you uh, adjust accordingly as to who's keeping what and uh, how much each was ends up in the pocket of one. The other thing that <clears throat> they, might need to be taken into consideration is there's going to be a capital gain on the revenue property down the line should be sold, presumably, right. and, and not for a family residence if that's where uh, he and she were living before. And if she keeps it, and it's her residence, she won't be paying any tax when she sells it down the road. Mm-hmm. So it's worth more, even more than just the value of it. Right. So he wrote back saying uh, she's claiming that because they have paid the mortgage and I didn't, they own more. So she, over the last four years, been paying the mortgage on the family home and he has not. And so he's keeping the the, the, uh, revenue dwelling and she's keeping the family home. I don't know if that changes anything for what you said. Well, I, I'm not sure either because it, just because she paid more, did she earn more? I mean, you know, uh, was she the bigger breadwinner? Was um, uh, does was it matter? The, they weren't married. They paid all of the mortgage on the revenue property, and they were using the revenue both to support the revenue property uh, and and. The extra income, if it was making any, was uh, used for their lifestyle. So, so who who should they speak to to figure this out? A lawyer. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Or who a can... financial advisor. Ah, okay. Very good. Or a mediator. There's lots of people one can talk to. Okay. Very good. Uh, question for you. Um, does the wife and or child inherit the debt of a deceased spouse, parent? Well... Anybody that dies, there's an inventory of their assets and debts. And if the uh, there's a will who determines who's inheriting uh, before one accepts the inheritance, one is entitled to have that inventory broken down so you can see if you're actually accepting a negative value or a plus value after the debts are taken care of by the estate. So if you don't accept... The estate, like if you say, I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah, like if the estate is, ends up being a negative value, you don't have to accept it just because somebody wanted to give it to you. So you don't <laughs> have to pay off a, 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 a dead spouse's debts. Well, that's if it's the child, because presumably the child didn't help incur the debt. A what spouse, if it's the wife then? Yeah, well, a spouse may be something different because it depends if they're, 
they're married, if there was a joint line of credit, that kind of a debt, whatever, Mm -hmm. and they both signed on it. Just because the other person died doesn't mean the other person gets out of it because the bank will come after you. They don't care who's dead and who isn't. Right. There's somebody still breathing. They're coming. So the child doesn't have to pay, but the spouse might. Yeah. Is the bottom line. All right. 514-800, if you have uh, any questions for Maître Linda Hammersmith. She specializes in family law. So any questions about divorce and custody and, and things like that, she is uh, absolutely willing to uh, and and open to answering those questions uh interesting question i think we've had this one before but when can i videotape or record my spouse you know there's all these things now that are these spy cameras that are so tiny that you can put anywhere and record all kinds of stuff uh can that be used anywhere okay well first of all let's go with telephone conversations for example Mm -hmm. anybody's entitled to tape another person in a conversation that only has two people in it, the person that called and the, the person that was called, you know? Okay, right. So if you, so, you can record it if it's your own voice, if it's your conversation with that person. Yeah. So okay. let's say then that uh, people are separating or separated or divorced already and their children involved. and. One parent phones the house where the children are living and says, I want to speak to little Johnny. And uh, uh, little Johnny's on the phone and the mother's still on the phone. Then it's a three-way conversation. That you can't tape. Okay. On the other hand, (laughs) there has been jurisprudence in family law that says that even if the tape conversation was done illegally, if it's in the interest of the court to know what the contents of the conversation was, well, it might then be admissible. Listen to it. This is Passion on CJD 800. Still have a couple of minutes left here with Metro Linda Hammerschmidt, who answers your legal questions about uh, divorce, your family law questions. So we were talking about. Uh, recordings how often are they acceptable in court like video recordings for example now we all have our cell phones it's easy to record stuff um, but you know sometimes you miss the context of what you're recording so yeah one of the rules and guidelines for the admissibility of for example the telephone call that we were talking about before is that it has to be from start to finish. You can't start Ah. halfway through the conversation because, as you just said, you could miss the context of what led up to whatever comes next. And you have to be able to recognize the parties that are speaking. So if if it's distorted or it's it's badly recorded or whatever and it's not clear that while you say it's it's, uh, Fred that's speaking, uh, maybe it was really John, you know, mm-hmm. so that has to be done. And uh, and it can't have a third party involved because otherwise that's an interception and then it's a criminal uh, infraction. Ah. Now, now a, another thing to bear in mind is while it's good sometimes to do these recordings as far as video is, not everybody is going to come in with a TV camera or, or in a courtroom so that the judge can see whatever this is. Right. Um, and it might bother a judge, especially if, for example, when you're doing the video 
videotaping, why would you be videotaping just your spouse? Unless it's because they're they're uh, verbally uh, abusive, failing you. Mm-hmm. But if in this video the children appear, that could really set a judge off in the wrong way. Ah. That you are videotaping your children, and the child or children are are obviously seeing the parent videotaping, and this could cause them undue stress, and it could end up backfiring on you. Okay, that's a very good point to keep in mind. Wow. Uh, who gets the child care tax uh, exemptions? You mean like the... the, the uh, I guess the government the, the, uh, money. You mean the payments that you receive for child tra- Yes. Like personal child support? And I all guess that so. Uh-huh. Usually it's the custodial parent. If it's joint custody, uh, uh, I believe it can be split. And if the custody changes, it will revert to the other parent upon application by that parent to the uh, the government agency involved. So if if a, if a couple has, let's say, a 60-40 split in terms of uh, cu- uh, like uh, custody where the kids live with one parent 60% of the time, uh, is, there, is, it, is the tax credit... Uh, done accordingly well first of all it's not a given that just because somebody has a child 40 percent of the time and the other 60 that it's illegal custody is also joint okay just because the time is split doesn't mean the 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 legal termination of the uh, term of custody is split so I'm not a 100% expert on the continuing changes of rules uh, mm-hmm. on that but my understanding is usually it goes with the parent. They can, uh, and I've seen it in, the, in files, they can uh, come to an agreement about, well, you take uh, this payment, let's say, from Canada, and you get the Quebec one. But obviously any consent like that has to be ratified by the court. Okay. Last question I think we have time for. Um, I have a friend who was married to a man who was a, who abused her physically and mentally and used her for her money. She was finally able to break free and is ready for divorce. However, she is incredibly afraid of this man. She has no idea how to go about this without feeling like she's going to be a target of revenge. She is no longer living with him for about eight months now. What should she do? What steps to take? Well, she should first start by consulting a lawyer who would be doing the proceedings should she want to go that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, things can be set up in such a way. Obviously, she's already out of the house, so you don't have to worry when the person's served. And it depends on what kind of revenge uh, she's talking about, because if he is physically assaulted her has she filed criminal uh, charges against him because if she hasn't she should okay so she can do that that Mm -hmm. he assaulted her was 10 years ago it's going to be a issue of you know they might not retain that because the proof will be difficult but if it was you know eight months ago it's still fresh in a sense it's not like it happened yesterday but it's still fresh and uh, certainly there can be orders uh, rendered by a court, uh, uh, you know, not to hinder or inopportune uh, the person. Of course, anybody, as we all know from the news, who's hell-bent on killing anybody or assaulting them or whatever, doesn't care what a judge or right. uh, unfortunately. You know, has to say. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. yeah. 
and they will do what they do. But sometimes, I mean, obviously she's lived with the physical abuse when she was uh, uh, together with this person, but uh, sometimes the threats of, well, if you take proceedings and ask me for money, I'm going to get you, sometimes that doesn't happen in the end. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's going to depend on what the financial arrangement is, you know, and how if this person is uh, self-employed or, or somebody who works for a company, uh, the threat level can be quite different because you can't say, unless he's prepared to quit his job, he's still going to be earning money, and that money can be seized once you get a court order if he's not willing to pay it voluntarily. I think the revenge, though, from what I'm gathering from this, is not financial, but probably scarier than that. Probably very scared, yeah. Unfortunately, there's only so much that either the the police or your lawyer can do uh, with somebody who is uh, definitely going to uh, come after you. But, uh, you know, maybe it's a question of setting up wherever that person lives with the proper equipment in the house to be able to ensure that she knows at all times who's who's at the door. That's true, yeah. And uh, if the person, I don't know, if she works, comes to her work to harass her, uh, that again is. But she has to, excuse me, make the call to the police to complain and and lay a charge for her arrest. Right, and she has to be able to say, I'm very much afraid and here's why I was uh, he he hit me or he's threatened to kill me or whatever it is and not be afraid to go to the police with that information and maybe yeah. get at, at the very least a restraining order right at the very least yeah at the very least yeah Linda always a pleasure talking with you always thank you for your expertise and we will uh, see you again next month Okay. All right. Wonderful. Thank you. Enjoy your August. Bye-bye. Thank you all for uh, your questions. Very interesting questions tonight. Thank you for spending uh, your precious time with us. Uh, Also, thank you to our technical producer tonight, Aaron Lakoff. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com, where you can send me your questions. If you have uh, questions, I answer them at the beginning of the uh, of each and every night. So if you have questions about sex, love, relationships, send them along. Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a wonderful rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.